going back to the the creation story i was intrigued by this particular line creator chose the tribes to be light to other nations but they failed to keep his peace treaty broke his laws and misrepresented him to others you know as we think about the history of this land uh, the unsettling truth of Western Europeans' uh, pillage, rape, and destruction of the native peoples in this land. It feels impossible to separate this legacy from their religious justification for such atrocities. And the history of the sacred text and subjugated people groups is, is quite troubling. You know, some people might be familiar with the history of the Slave Bible, which was a carefully edited version of the scriptures given to enslaved population, but with the removal of passages that might hint at things like freedom and equality. Can you walk us through the history of the Bible's translation to the First Nation people? Welcome to the CBF Podcast Conversation. We know that conversations matter, so each week we are grinding through the critical research to bring you the best stories and resources of people doing groundbreaking and innovative work in renewing God's world. I'm Andy Hale, your CBF Podcast host, and this year we're celebrating our seventh year of the podcast, bringing you even better interviews worth your time, attention, and collaboration. These episodes are not intended for you to listen to an island unto yourself. Get online, share your insights, thoughts, and feedback from the podcast with us on CBF's Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram pages. We also want you to join the CBF podcast community through our CBF podcast listener support page at cbf.net backslash podcast support. We see you, Pasadena, California, Louisville, Kentucky, Beaverton, Oregon, and Frankfurt, Germany. First-time listeners and long-time listeners, we are grateful you are here for the conversation. We want to give a special shout-out to some of our listener supporters, including Caroline Bell, Cindy Foldenlor, Bill Johnson, Carson Fushi, Ralph Stocks, and that generous anonymous donor that keeps giving in honor of CBF Grump. And before we move on, we want to give a word of gratitude to our annual sponsors, including Central Seminary, the CBF Church Benefits, and the Baptist Seminary of Kentucky. This podcast is presented to you by Central Seminary a historic Baptist seminary founded in Kansas that now is diverse, cross-cultural, and ecumenical with a significant global footprint. Leading with the values of community, empathy, growth, and tenacity, Central Seminary equips students with the theological knowledge, spiritual insight, and practical skills needed to lead in an ever-changing world. We cultivate an inclusive, multi-language community of reflection where critical thinking and discernment are welcomed and encouraged. Central offers numerous graduate degrees and certificates, including Doctorate of Ministry in Creative Leadership, Master of Arts in Counseling, Certificates in Chaplaincy Studies, and Peace and Justice Ministries, and much more. Most programs are offered fully online. To learn more, visit cbts.edu or search for Central Seminary Kansas City. Our guest for this week's CBF podcast conversation is Terry Wildman. Serving as the Director of Spiritual Growth and Leadership Development for Native University, Terry has led the translation, editing, and project management of First Nation Version. He's also the founder of Rain Ministries. Terry, thank you for joining the conversation. It feels really good to be here today with you, Andy. I appreciate you bringing me on and want to say hello and bonjour, hello to all your listeners. 
Well, we're excited to have you on the podcast, and, and I'm eager to get to our conversation about the First Nations version. Um, but I'd love to get give our audience you know, a chance to get to know your story and the work you've done with, with RAIN Ministry. So tell us a little bit more about you and your work. Right. Um, well, first of all, I'll say that my wife and I live now in Arizona, uh, in Maricopa, uh, which is south of Phoenix. We live on the traditional lands of the Pima and the Tohono O'odham. And uh, my native ancestry includes both Ojibwe from the Great Lakes region and Yaqui from the Arizona, Mexico region uh, here. So um, uh, Rain Ministries, uh, we founded Rain Ministries, uh, a very small nonprofit uh, about 20 years ago here in Arizona. We lived on the Hopi Indian Reservation ser serving with YWAM for two years. And then we served three years with the American Baptist at a 100-year-old mission on the Hopi Reservation in Northern Arizona. And that's where I really began to reconnect with my own Native heritage. I wasn't raised uh, in my uh, culture, and so I had to reconnect with it. Um, but uh, Creator gave me some mentors and some people to uh, connect with uh, among the Anishinaabe. So that's where I've connected mostly. That's the Ojibwe. An Anishinaabe simply means the uh, the the people or the real people, and I often apologize, sorry for the rest of you, um, but uh, we we are uh, one of the largest, the Ojibwe are one of the largest, or Anishinaabe, uh, in, in uh, North America uh, on what we call Turtle Island. If you don't count the barrier between Canada and the U.S., then we have the largest tribal group um, uh, there and the Yaqui are are here in the in the Sonora Desert, uh, in uh, Mexico um, along the Agua Prieta River. Uh, so D Darlene and I lived with the Hopi, a very traditional people, for about oh uh, five years. And during that time, I was for me it was mostly learning time as I uh, learned about the traditional ways. The Hopis have been one of the more uh, successful uh, nations, uh, uh, native uh, tribes who have held on to their culture. Um, and their culture uh, has been preserved for over a thousand years there on the reservation. It's starting to weaken now. And it's, uh, some of uh, a lot of the youth are not speaking the language and only a few elders speak the language fluently. And so uh, living there and working with some of the churches was how, uh, you know, I learned a lot about our Native people, and I also learned a lot about how they view Christianity and how, uh, and what are the, some of the issues that, that um, hinder Native people uh, from uh, listening to the message of Jesus because of the, uh, some of the things that have happened with the churches and the um, the generations of government assimilation that the churches and missionary organizations participated with. So a lot of our First Nations people, our Native American people, don't read their tribal languages. Um, and so that's, that's kind of leading up to where and why we did this First Nation version in English of the New Testament. But uh, my wife and I also, um, after living for five years on the Hopi uh, reservation in northern Arizona, we traveled uh, for another uh, oh, eight, 
almost nine years uh, in an RV. We traveled across the country connecting with um, Native uh, reservations, Native people. Uh, we worked at helping churches and uh, Native people get together, learn uh, from each other, break down some of the barriers and under misunderstandings that exist between churches and Native people. Um, and so we, we, we worked on that traveling for years and years before we got involved with uh, this idea of, of uh, and committed ourselves to the translation of the First Nation version. Well, you know, as, as you've been talking about you, this new project that's come out, um, this is an indigenous translation of the New Testament. And the first thing to note is, is that it's not written like many other translations. This is following an oral tradition. Um, so why was that so important for this version? Well, everyone hears English a little bit differently. It doesn't matter in, um, you know, where you grew up. As a matter of fact, my wife and I visited England and Scotland and Ireland, and we found out that uh, even if you speak English, sometimes you can miscommunicate with people. Words, uh, the meanings of words change because of the culture a person is raised in, even if they're speaking the same language. The people in the South of uh, what's called the Southern parts of the States uh, in the in the United States, uh, speak and use different phrases than say people who are on the West Coast. And so, with Native people, as as we all have learned English now, it be it is now the language we primarily speak. And we felt it was important that um, the translation into English was aimed at using words that would be relevant for our Native people that would help bring better understanding of the scriptures um, and also because of the way that Christianity was brought to our native people it was brought through a coercion process where children were, were removed from their uh, homes and put into boarding schools forbidden to speak their language and um, and so uh, wearing long hair was a sin um, speaking your language was a sin in all these diff different words and, and phrases of Christianity, including uh, a few other ones like the word kingdom and things like that. So we intentionally moved away from those kinds of words because of this history and chose words that have the same meaning, but, but would not raise these uh, linguistic barriers and these trigger words that might that might put up um, defenses against the gospel immediately. Um, and uh, so that was one of the goals that we had in the translation. And that's the reason we did it this way. We're going to come back to some of that here uh, in just a bit and actually unpack that a, a great deal. Um, just to give kind of our our audience as they're trying to wrap their mind around the project itself. Uh, you know, I remember the process of translating just the first letter of John for my master's Greek class. I can't even imagine translating and retelling the entire New Testament. So New Testament. So walk us through the process that, that you gave oversight and managed. Well, first of all, what happened was it was back in about 2003, while I was living on the Hopi 
reservation that I just began uh, uh, experimenting with rewording the scriptures and using them in our men's talking circle. In our, uh, we had a woman's talking circle, um, and we. Um, I was noticing that uh, that Bible studies uh, were hard to do, especially because we were doing them kind of in the the way that it's done in, in our majority culture in our in our modern uh, you know United States culture that that's kind of uh, been inherited from Europe, and so um, we began. I just began this process of rewording things, uh, just using different words and the feedback I got was very positive. And what it led to was my wife and I uh, recorded a CD. And this CD, we're, we're a recording artists, we're called Rain Song. We've won some uh, Native American uh, music awards. We've been nominated for a Grammy. So we, we took the, the uh, some music in the background and myself as the narrator and wrote from creation to Christ, the story from creation to Christ, hitting the highlights of the story from the Old Testament leading up to the birth of Jesus, the birth of the chosen one, and then through his ministry and eventual crucifixion and resurrection. And so uh, that, that uh, was the beginning of a process. We didn't know, I didn't know we were going to do a translation at the time. It was the farthest thing from my mind. I was just looking for some good ways to express the gospel uh, to Native people in a way that, that it could be better received and, and uh, uh, more reflected on, uh, for me, more taken seriously. And so, uh, so we did that, and we, we were getting really good feedback. And eventually, as my wife and I later began to travel, uh, we used these reworded portions of scriptures on our travels as we would go to reservations and, and native uh, gatherings and things. And, and I would use these while my wife played the flute, I would narrate a portion of scripture and then afterwards, a lot of the Native people would come up to me and say, what version of the Bible were you reading from? And I'd say, well, uh, we don't have a Bible like this. I just have some of these I've been working on rewording. She, and the, this one Native lady says, well, there needs to be a Bible like that. That would really help us. And another Native elder said, you say it in English the way we think it in our language. And so uh, because it was so well received and people kept saying there needs to be a translation like this, I started wondering about that and searching, uh, talking to missionaries, talking uh, to even Wycliffe translators, and there just wasn't anything like this that had been done in English. And so, um, th so the process was I first started with... Uh, uh, the uh, the birth of the chosen one, the Christmas story, and here we are right now in the Advent season, but that's how we started. I wanted to get people to test it out there, so um, I self-published a small book with the help of a few Native uh, friends of mine who who gave me ideas and gave suggestions and and reviewed what I was writing, and uh, and they gave approval to that, and then we we uh, published that book, and it was really well received 
And then from there, I did the four gospels into one story. And we called it when the great spirit walked among us. So that takes us from about 2012 to 2015. It took me a couple of years to do these first two books. But then I got serious about doing the translation. And I really felt I couldn't find anyone. I committed myself to it. And uh, it was April 2015. I had built a website. I had a Facebook page. Word was getting out about this. And what happened was um, a Bible translation organization in Canada called One Book, a part of the Wycliffe Global Alliance of Translators, found out what I was doing online. The CEO of, the, of that Wycliffe, his name is Wayne Johnson, uh, got a hold of me. I received an email on April Fool's Day, and uh, I, I thought it was a joke, but this guy was serious and what that led to was we he partnered with uh the one, one book of canada partnered with rain ministries our ministry and uh committed they committed to helping provide expertise they they would help provide software bible translation software called paratext and they would help us through this process but we would be the ones doing the translation they would just help us with expertise and, and a, a, a consultant with over 50 years experience. And so that, that really gave us the courage and, the, and the, uh, to, to really move forward on this. And they helped us with funding. So we brought a group. First thing I did was from people I knew all over the country from my travels, um, um, I invited Native people, Native believers in Jesus to participate in this project as as uh, we, we formed what we called a First Nation Version Translation Council. And so this council be, uh, gathered together with the help of one book, and we met. And the first thing we did was we went through um, over 185 key terms that are found in the New Testament and decided how we are going to translate those terms into the English in a way that would relate best to our Native American people. And so that, uh, so we did that process and eventually we landed on the method that we would use would be, I would be the lead translator since I had already developed kind of a style of doing this and had already been working on it for a couple years. And then the Translation Council and others would join as reviewers, giving feedback, giving approval uh, from a cultural point of view. And then we also had a consultant that went over verse by verse, everything that we translated and asked questions and, and made sure that we were on track with the Greek and the Hebrew. So that's some of the process. Uh, we worked on Google Docs. Uh, we worked virtually apart from each other after those first few weeks of being together. And uh, over the years, we had a lot of different um, people join the project. We had staff from Native InterVarsity join us. And we had some people from Crew Nations um, uh, join in with this process and begin to use the early parts of this translation in actual ministry settings and getting feedback for us, working with Native students on college campuses and things like that. So that whole 
process took about five years before we finally got it completed. So what's fascinating about the First Nation version is that it begins with a prologue, a retelling of the creation story. Why was this critical for this translation? So the creation story, um, since all of our Native people have creation stories, and we all have slightly different creation stories, to start with a creation story, which gives a, us the idea, the purpose of how did this all begin? And again, our Native people have always compared our creation stories with each other. We understood creation stories as being not scientific, but spiritual. And so that's the way we, uh, we uh, Native people would initially look at the creation story in the scriptures. Oh, here's another creation story. I wonder what this, what creator told this group of people about why we're here and what we're here for and why things are the way they are and why, why the world is the way it is. And so um, it was important to start with the creator. Um, sometimes we, uh, a lot of my, some of my native friends uh, who, who share Jesus with our, with our people, uh, we don't start with Jesus. Well, first of all, Jesus has gotten a bad, the, the, the name Jesus and the person of Jesus has gotten a bad reputation through the way that he was presented to our native people. He was forced on us. Uh, it was forced on us through the boarding school experiences and things like that. And so the message of the gospel uh, be becomes, uh, it loses its power when it's brought in a forceful way and it, it loses its beauty. And, and so we wanted to recapture that idea that we present the Hebrew creation story. We need to set this story. We knew that this is another tribe. We're not trying to say that this creation story is a Native American creation story. We're trying to say is the creation story of a, an indigenous people who creator chose to bring his purposes to pass in this world in a very special way to bring his son into the world, his, uh, his, his chosen one. And so we uh, wanted to, uh, to tell this prologue so that that story from, the, from creation would, would present a creation story and how it developed into Jesus and where Jesus comes into the story and why he comes in at the point he does. And so all of us are tribal people. We love these stories. We love to hear each other's stories. And so this story should be no different because it's just another tribe. It is, it's not just, it is another tribe's story of creation. But this story has a, a different telling and a different purpose than many of our native stories. But it does enhance them in many ways and connect with them in many ways. So that's, uh, uh, we felt it was important to um, uh, tell it the story through so it places Jesus firmly within his culture and then connects some of the cultural ways of the Hebrew people to the ceremonial ways of our native people. We understood ceremony. We understood tribes. We understood how creator chose people to be in a specific place and, and, and are connected to the earth 
in a specific way in the land where they live. And so th- th- those are some of the reasons. This podcast is presented to you by CBF Church Benefits. At CBB, your benefits are our ministry. For 25 years, CBF Church Benefits has proudly served the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship, providing retirement benefits and insurance services for CBF-affiliated church ministries and staff, along with CBF field personnel in Atlanta and around the world. CBB helps simplify the administrative burdens of your retirement plan, allowing you and your ministry staff to focus on your ministry. CBB can also help you maintain your overall benefit package, including life and disability benefit and international medical insurance for international missions. Through generous philanthropic support, CBF Church Benefits recently launched the Financial Wellness Initiative. This new initiative offers ministers the opportunity to receive financial relief grants, financial education experience, and financial planning services. Please visit CBF Church Benefits website at churchbenefits.org to learn more about CBB, our benefits, and the financial wellness opportunities designed to help you thrive in your mission and ministry. Since 2016, CBF has brought you over 100 episodes of interviews with authors and practitioners for conversations that matter. These stories of creativity and innovation have garnered weekly support from around the United States and the world. We are inviting you, the listeners, to join us in connecting with the podcast. Become a monthly listener supporter and receive some perks, including name recognition on the podcast, questions for upcoming guests, free books from the podcast, joining the podcast for an interview, and a VIP experience with the General Assembly podcast guest. There are five levels of listener support starting at $5 per month. For less than the cost of a pumpkin spice latte, you will be featured by name on the weekly podcast episode. For more information and to join the community of listener supporters, visit cbf.net slash podcast support. This week's CBF podcast conversation is brought to you by the Youth Theology Network. They're a resource for helping high school students understand if God is calling them to ministry. Their online hub is where you can connect with programs across the country, direct students to programs that meet their needs, read inspiring stories, and find vocational discernment resources. As a mentor to high school students who are considering ministry, you know your work is important, but it can also be lonely and overwhelming. With YTN, you'll find the information you need for building or scaling your vocational discernment programs, as well as resources to help students take their next faithful step. To awaken what's possible for high school students in your life, please visit youththeologynetwork.org. That's youththeologynetwork.org. So across many cultures and and sacred texts, God has been given many names. Um, In this translation, God is identified as great mystery, maker of life, giver of breath, and many other monikers. What is the significance behind these names for God? Well, one of the things is that our Native people traditionally um, have had a, a way, a designation or a name for the Supreme Being. Um, and in a general way, because we're all speaking English now, um, across the board at our powwows and at native gatherings, uh, we pray, uh, even the ones that are not believers in Jesus, pray to creator, the one who made the sky above, the one who made the earth below, the one who created all things. He's the creator, and we call him creator. 
We also call him the great spirit. These are general terms that um, most native people accept as a way of identifying the supreme being. But also there are other uh, ways and we chose some of the most common ways, the one, you know, like maybe the one above us all, the maker of life, the giver of breath. These are different uh, designations or names. You might say that uh, some of our tribal people our native nations have used in reference to God, to the great spirit. Um, God, the, the term God in the, in the New Testament um, is, comes from the Greek word theos. And that, that Greek word theos is translated in English to G-O-D. But that translation is not an inspired usage of the word theos. It is just one way to designate God or a supreme being or a powerful being. Sometimes uh, uh, in, in the scripture, when it talks about other gods, it uses the same term, theos, that it uses of, uh, of uh, the, the Hebrew God. And so, uh, like Paul says, there are many gods, theos, and many lords, but for us, there's only one God. There's only one Lord. And so, um, so uh, using these names helps connect uh, our native people to uh, our understanding that there is a supreme being. And so this supreme being also is found in the scriptures and giving him native designations that are biblically sound and, and the, the same kind of designations the scripture sometimes gives God. God is called a creator in the scriptures. Uh, God is called the most high in the scriptures. Uh, there's many other terms used for God. As a matter of fact, when we look at the divine name Yahweh for, for God, uh, Yahweh gets connected with many other Hebrew words to come out with many names. And that's how our native people uh, often understand the creator. He's not limited to one name or one designation because he's greater than any one name could possibly be and or, or could possibly say about him. So we wanted uh, to use that native tradition of names having meaning and connect it to uh, this translation and stay away from the sort of colonial word for G-O-D, which probably has a German root that came from a Germanic language that was eventually incorporated into the English. Every translation in history uh, has been geared towards deciphering the sacred text into the vernacular um, of the language and culture of the people reading it. What was Absolutely. the intentionality behind this version for the natives of this land? Well, we wanted to capture the, the simplicity, the beauty of our native way of speaking, our heart languages, but we wanted to capture that in English while remaining faithful to the original language of the New Testament. Um, so having native people being the ones who are involved in this translation, it's translated by a group of native people 
we're not we're not saying we represent all Native Americans. We're not saying we even represent our own particular tribes uh, that we have heritage with or even membership with those tribes. Um, but we're saying here's a group of Native people who are doing a translation um, worded for our Native people to relate to our Native people. So we, we uh, I explored um, uh, some of the early writings like of Black Elk and Chief Joseph and Chief Seattle and other Native people who wrote in the late 1800s and whose original language was translated very, very close, uh, closely into the English. And we have these books and a lot of our Native people really like reading these books and and stories um, by, for example, Charles Eastman Ohayasa, who wrote The Soul of an Indian, a, a believer in Jesus, yet he explains Native culture. He uses very simple yet profoundly simple ways of speaking. Not, we're not trying to, in any sense, dumb down the scriptures. We're just presenting them in a way that's profoundly easy to read. And uh, that's the feedback we get from it. And we also, um, our native people have, have, even though we don't speak this way today in our everyday language, in, even in English, um, but we still respect how the elders told these stories to us, the way that our elders spoke to us, the, great, the way um, our grandparents and great grandparents spoke to us. And so um, we were, were trying to capture this idea that here's a, an elder, a, a grandfather, and he's telling the story of Jesus to our native people um, in, our, in, in a storytelling manner. And so when our native people, uh, if you go to a powwow and you listen to a storyteller, you're going to find that that storyteller tells the story in a little more in, in the style that we used for the First Nations version. And so the, the, uh, the people listening kind of get, uh, they, they sense that cultural connection. And, and uh, that's what we were hoping for, that, that's what we were going for. Native American stories were traditionally told in ways that are unique to the storyteller meaningful to the listeners and uh, they would draw from history, tradition, experience. And a storyteller ensures that the essence of the story is preserved without the need to present a strict word for word recital of that story. So the essence of the meaning of the story needs to be there. The meaning of these Greek words, the meaning of these not just the words, but the sentences and the paragraphs that we find in the, in the New Testament, in the Greek language. We wanna make sure that meaning's preserved, but we don't necessarily use the exact words. We use equivalent words that relate in our culture. Going back to the, the creation story, I was intrigued by this particular line Creator chose the tribes to be light to other nations, but they failed to keep his peace treaty, broke his laws, and misrepresented him to others. You know, as we think about the history of this land, uh, the unsettling truth 
of Western Europeans uh, pillage, rape, and destruction of the native peoples and this land, it feels impossible to separate this legacy from their religious justification for such atrocities. And the history of the sacred text and subjugated people groups is, is quite troubling. You know, some people might be familiar with the history of the slave Bible, which was a carefully edited version of the scriptures given to enslaved population, but with the removal of passages that might hint at things like freedom and equality. Can you walk us through the history of the Bible's translation to the First Nation people? Well, there really, that's one of the things that uh, I want to bring out is that the Bible, there hasn't been a version of the Bible translated for Native people, except in their tribal languages done by Wycliffe and other translation organizations. And those translations were put into the language, as far as I know, uh, as accurately as possible within the native tongue. The problem was that while one group of, of uh, uh, missionaries were translating the scripture into our tribal tongues, another group of missionaries was preventing us from learning and speaking our language, and they never did teach our language. So even if these other translations are accurate or even relate even better than what this English translation would, and I think they would uh, uh, relate, over 95% of our native people aren't reading them and can't read them. And so we felt there needed to be an English translation. As far as we know, this is the first translation done by natives for natives and also with native people in mind in English. Uh, so it's not so much that the, 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 actually the Bible in the boarding schools, I don't know how much the Bible was used, but I'm sure that it, that whatever amount of the Bible was used in the boarding schools, it was used to um, convince these children that their native ways were somehow wrong and that this way was the right way and all that they believed before had to be gotten rid of um, because uh, you, know, you, you are not acceptable to the creator until you first learn to speak English and you properly dress a certain way and you cut your hair a certain way, you quit using smoke uh, or incense to pray to, the, to, to God and you have to stop basically being native so that you can at least culturally native or speaking your language so that you can come to creator and be accepted by him and and regardless of uh of of the uh i know that many missionaries were doing their best at the time to uh, bring jesus to our people but they actually got caught up into a sort of nationalistic fervor themselves about you know the destiny of of, of white uh, settlers coming to this land uh, the, the a manifest destiny to, to take over the land and I'm sure that that those attitudes got presented to our native children and one of the ways I know that is I've talked to many of the elders who actually either were in a boarding school or heard the stories of how 
Jesus was presented in boarding schools. But to me, the amazing thing about this, uh, the, the number, the, the, it's been small, less than, it's estimated. I would say it's very generous to estimate that 10% of our native people uh, came to faith in Jesus through the mission efforts. Um, I, some say it's less than that, but let's say it was 10%. Um, it's amazing to me that even 10% came. And it speaks that, that somehow uh, the message of Jesus can still get through somewhat, even when it's presented badly. And I think the Apostle Paul kind of hinted at that idea. I think it was in Philippians where he talks about some preach Christ out of the wrong uh, um, motivations, but yet he says, uh, I'm, I was glad Christ was preached. So many native people have found freedom and hope and life in Jesus in spite of all this that's happened. But the sad thing is there could have been so many more of our native people if the gospel would have been brought in the way that Jesus would have intended it to be brought to our people. Like, and even the idea that the, the first gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, were all translated from another language into Greek, shows you that the gospel from the beginning was intended to be, to cross the cultures and to be expressed in other languages. And that that, if it was done right, the right way, the gospel itself has that power to set people free and to give new life. But if it's brought the wrong way, it loses that power. Let's take this a little deeper, you know, in the interwoven nature of the scriptures with the atrocities by the hands of Anglo-Christians is troubling. And that is an, that's an understatement. Yeah. So as a first nation person, what does the process look like of removing the colonial language from the Christian text? Well, for us, um, it involved identifying certain words that have what you might call colonial baggage attached to them. I kind of already mentioned the word sin. We didn't use the word sin in this translation because of the fact that, that sin has this baggage attached to it. It's a sin to speak your language. It's a sin to do this. It's a sin to pray a certain way using incense. So we used other words, we used sometimes bad hearts, broken ways to express this idea of sin, uh, which in the original language, the, the, the word actually means to miss the mark. Or we sometimes we use the phrase, fail to live in the way creator intended us to live. And so all of us uh, uh, native people, we've always known that things get out of harmony, that our lives, people can have broken ways about them. And the ways that the creator intended us to live, we don't all live in those ways. Um, and so we had ceremonies and purification ceremonies that was a prayer to restore that harmony again, because we knew things had gone bad. And so by presenting 
these concepts and wordings in, in that native way of understanding what broken ways are, what failure is uh, uh, from a native perspective, I think it helps not, it, it, it doesn't trigger those defenses from certain words like sin. And, uh, and then even we went farther theologically, we looked at the word kingdom, for example. The word kingdom has some colonial baggage attached to it uh, from the, the British and from uh, the translations primarily coming out of, uh, out of England, uh, the, the, the Geneva Bible, the King James Bible. And these, uh, these, uh, this concept of kingdom, um, now Jesus begins to re-evaluate or, or, or re-properly state the meaning of the kingdom. The kingdom wouldn't be the way the, uh, the peoples that ruled over you. It would be people that served you would be the greatest. They, uh, you, you apostles you're, you're going to take the low seats. You're going to take the low place. You're going to serve people instead of being served. And, and so um, for our native people, uh, the word kingdom gives the idea of being ruled over. And um, where our, we had to look at it differently. So um, our chiefs in our many of our tribes didn't rule in the way that the European monarchs ruled, or even the Old Testament um, kings ruled. They ruled in a different way. They ruled more as servants. Um, they uh, Many times chiefs had to give away their belongings four times before they could even be considered to be a chief. Um, there had to be a proving of one's um, uh, self not to be in it for the prestige or for the um, uh, possessions that you might gain from that. Uh, you weren't uh, paid in the sense of uh, given a castle or a special dwelling place as a chief, you, you served the people. And so um, we looked into some of our native theologians. We have native theologians. One of them's name is George Tinker. And George is a, is a believer in Jesus. He's a native theologian. Uh, theologian. He wrote a book, uh, several books. The one that I re resourced was his book on spirit and resistance. And he has a chapter on the kingdom of God from a native perspective. And it's so well written. And there's so much more to it than just simply the words we chose for the kingdom of God. Um, but it came down to the idea that the kingdom of God is a way of life. The kingdom of God is a and for Native people to express a way of life, we often would say we would walk a good road. This is a way of life. So the kingdom of God in our translation became um, walking creator's good road. The creator's good road is, is uh, the message that, that creator sets free, Jesus brought to the people. And so... Uh, another way that we, uh, uh, I think we're the first translation to actually look into the meaning of the Greek and Hebrew of the meaning of the names of every person and place that's mentioned in the New Testament. And so we researched and, and, 
And then we gave each person their name um, uh, with the meaning of the Hebrew or Greek, depending on where the root of that name came from, um, along with we put the standard English in parentheses. For example, Jesus is creator sets free. And, and that's traditionally the way our native people named our children. And, and, and we were named with a name that had meaning and purpose. And so, uh, and so it is with the Hebrew people. Uh, and we saw that this is a way to bring the, the text and the feel of the Old Testament of the, of, of, and of native people together. There's a lot of common ground there um, and that by telling it that way, it was going to relate better to, to Native people. Now, this whole mess of colonialism is, is disastrous. And so this is, uh, I, we don't expect that this will solve everything, but we see it as a step, as a seed that we're going to sow, as a way to present the scriptures without the colonial baggage connected to it. Um, for some Native people, it has already made a difference. Some uh, feedback we've gotten is that um, some Native people who are against Christianity, because of this, the background, when they read this, they changed their mind. They began to, to be able to separate this story of Jesus from what happened with the churches and, 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 and with the, the government here. And so um so i think this is just one of the ways and i hope that out of this we hope that out of this more resources can be uh can be made and more uh maybe studies uh we're, we're, as a matter of fact i'm working with some of the crew staff donnie begay who's the head of nations at crew and we're working on a a uh, First Nation version Ephesians Bible study, and we're going to have many of our native believers in Jesus give feedback into that Bible study and create a, uh, more resources because the resources for our native people are almost non-existent. You can go and find all kinds of resources for the majority culture, but when you're talking about specifically targeting our native people, with the beauty of the gospel, we have very few resources. So we're hoping that out of this, much more can be done and more resources can, can uh, uh, be created. And we hope that it raises awareness. It's actually selling amazingly well among non-Native people. Uh, it's also selling really well among our Native people. We have some ministries that have ordered thousands of copies of this to distribute and use in their ministries. InterVarsity, um, Native InterVarsity is using it in their Bible studies, making it the primary Bible study New Testament tool that they use. And Crew is also using it in similar ways, Crew Nations. And, uh, and I know of other ministries, Montana Indian Ministries, and some of the Foursquare Native Ministries of different denominations in Canada uh, some of the, the major denominations there that have quite a few uh, First Nations people in them have written us and told us that, that this translation is making a difference. Um, but we know that there's a lot more work to be done. There's a lot that needs to be undone, and we hope this will be a, a stepping stone in that direction.
you alluded to it earlier um and that there's so much about colonialism that continues to uh affect the native people today you know and i think for a lot of well-intentioned white christians they believe that racism and segregation is a thing of the past but we can see from the last few years of the proliferation of white christian nationalism that these ideas and mindsets are not going away you know so while this translation is a is a critical resource and helping um, people understand the the dynamics of different cultures within America, and I know that we can unpack this in an entire interview unto itself. But what can our local pastors, our, our church leaders, do in helping unravel the damage of colonialism at the local level? What does that practically look like? One of the things that I think needs to happen, my wife and I traveled in our ministry, we traveled 10 years all across Turtle Island, what we call North America. And we went to churches that would invite us to come in that wanted to learn um, about our native people. And we worked on uh, bringing native people and, uh, and churches together in events. And um, <clears throat> what needs to happen what we noticed is that as we would go to non-native churches so many people were shocked when we told the story of what happened with this particular tribe sometimes it was the very tribe in the area they were located we just did some simple research on that local region and the history of the native people there and were able to tie that in to visiting a church in that region you see a lot of a lot of people kind of see the Native Americans as sort of this uh, eternal uh, mission field that, that just never goes away. And, um, and there's this kind of attitude that, well, we want to take people to reservations and we want to take our children's there. And, and, and uh, so they can see how, how bad things are there and, and appreciate how good we have things here. Uh, and sometimes, uh, even though that wasn't the intent, that's what happens. And um, I think what has to happen is the majority culture, the body of Christ in the majority culture, needs to begin to um, invite our Native leaders to the, to the table and begin to let Native people tell their story, bring their perspectives to the story. If you think about uh, you know, Christianity, say in America, here, uh, who you can name quite a few national leaders from most of our cultures. But from our native culture, can you name the national leaders? Where are they? Are they at the table? Do they get mentioned on the news? Do they get mentioned um, at the at the big uh, uh, conferences, often even mission conferences, the native people are the last on the list kind of over in the corner somewhere I've noticed as I've gone to different mission conferences. So I think there has to be an attitude change. Find out about, don't just go somewhere far away to another reservation. You know, so let's say you're on the East Coast, you wanna to go to the West Coast. No, find out what happened where you live. Find out who the native people are where you live. Find out, is there a reservation nearby? If there isn't, are there powwows nearby? Where do Native people gather? And 
once you find those the native people go to their gatherings don't expect them to come to you you go to them and you go with a heart that says i want to hear your story i want to understand native ways and native things um and so uh from that idea begin to build relationships in in those relationships you might find a local tribal council or a, a group of native people who gather or powwow council or something and you might invite one of those uh, uh leaders to come to your church and give them the pulpit on a sunday and let them tell the story of the people of the land where you live let them tell the stories of what happened and let them do it without fear of of being like ridiculed or anything like that you might want to you might have to prepare your church ahead of time for um a uh native person to come in because the native person that come in may not be a believer in jesus and so we we have to learn how to interact with people who don't believe exactly the way we do how can we respect their spiritual ways you know and also respect our own understanding of creator and our own understanding of who jesus is um without getting defensive or without uh being uh afraid uh of 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 the the native culture so these these are just some of the things i know that there's been a few churches we've worked with who have begun that process who have begun to invite native people into the pulpit sometimes they start with native christians that's okay and we have quite a few we have a theological school called nates n-a-i-i-t-s a uh north american uh institute of in, uh indigenous uh studies nates um theological studies and there are people who have written several good books mark charles and others uh unsettling truths uh, randy woodley um uh, living in color uh, there's we have native people who can speak and and answer questions but we but we don't often get invitations to do so and i'm just thankful that during this this podcast and other podcasts that i've done that were uh, you guys are all asking the right questions i love it this is a good question what can we do to begin to unravel this uh this mess of cult that colonialism has done uh to the churches and to our native people and so um i really encourage working in the local area you live and learning what, what you can in those ways and my I, I wrote a book called uh sign language a look at the historic and prophetic landscape of america i wrote it to evangelicals primarily um as a, and gave ideas in that book about what can be done on local levels and what we've tell some of the stories of what we've been able to do um in in uh, local areas um and things can be done but it's not going to it's not going to happen suddenly it's not going to happen quickly it's going to take line upon line measure upon measure uh, we're going to fight we're going to make uh, mistakes along the way we're going to have some conflicts along the way but we have to be committed to this process and if non-native people will will and pastors will commit their churches i think every church in this country should have a native american person 
who in that church represents Native people. If it's a Native person, wonderful. If it's not, it's someone who is feels called, you know, pray about, do I feel called to make connections, help our church connect, do research in the local area to find out what the story is and how to build, not converts, how to build relationships, you know, and tell the story of Jesus and, and let the Holy Spirit be the one who makes the converts. The implications uh, for this translation are obvious for First Nation people, but what do you hope for people who um, are reading this that are not First Nation people? Well, initially our hope was that um, it would uh, begin to show uh, just a, a taste of the beauty of our native cultures. Our native cultures um, have beautiful ways about them, beautiful values. Uh, my Anishinaabe people, uh, they, you know, we had seven uh, sacred teachings. We call them the, the seven grandfather teachings of love and wisdom and respect and courage and humility and all these things and all of our ceremonies were about reinforcing these basic values. And these values are the same values that Jesus teaches. So we have common ground. And, and so I'm hoping and, and, and seeing and actually somewhat surprised that so many non-Native people are giving us incredible feedback on this translation, how it's, how it's renewing their faith in scripture, how it's giving them insights they've never had before. And so since it's doing that, um, as I read on, I, sometimes I go to Amazon and look at the comments section on the First Nation version, and many non-Native people comment on there of how uh, this has caused them to see Native people in a different way. And so if, if it can do some of that, if it can open up curiosity, if it can, if it can help uh, non-Natives value what our Native people can bring to the table, um, then uh, it's met my hope. And it's beginning to do that. As a matter of fact, um, we've gotten uh, letters and emails from from Wycliffe translators in Mexico, Wycliffe translators in India, Wycliffe translators in Africa, who have gotten somehow gotten wind of this version. And they're talking with me and they're saying, we need something like this in Mexico. We need something like this in India. And we think that somehow what you've done is going to, uh, is going to help uh, translators do this. Now, I never expected me, a non-trained person for translating, to be able to see this happen, but it's happened. And all I can do is give the credit to creator, to, uh, to God uh, for this. But, um, but those are, that's the hope I have, that it will raise awareness, that it'll, it'll help uh, eventually work toward healing, reconciliation, and, uh, and Native people uh, understanding Jesus for who he really is, um, a very spiritual, holy man who loves the whole world and who gave his life to save every one of us. Before we wrap up our time, would you be willing to uh, 
read for us a, a portion of the translation? This is a, uh, they, many call it the Magnificat, the, the Song of Mary, uh, when she goes to her cousin Elizabeth and, and Elizabeth uh, recognizes that she's carrying the Messiah. And uh, uh, Mary's response is, is great. It's, uh, she says, from deep in my heart, I dance with joy to honor the great spirit. Even though I am small and weak, he noticed me. Now I will be looked up to by all. The mighty one has lifted me up. His name is sacred. He is the great and holy one. Her face seemed to shine as she continued. He, he shows kindness and pity to both children and elders who respect him. His strong arm has brought low the ones who think they are better than others. He counts coup with arrogant warrior chiefs, but puts a headdress of honor on the ones with humble hearts. She smiled, looked up to the sky and shouted for joy. He prepares a great feast for the ones who are hungry, but sends the fat ones home with empty bellies. He has been kind to the tribes of wrestles with creator Israel who walk in his ways for he has remembered the ancient promises he made to our ancestors, to father of many nations, Abraham, and to his descendants. When she was finished, they both laughed with joy. With hearts full of gladness, they told each other their stories. First Nation Version, an indigenous translation of the New Testament, is available now wherever books are sold. Our guest is Terry M. Wildman. You can follow his work on social media and check out firstnationversion.com. Uh, Terry, thank you for making the time to have this conversation. We are humbled by your extraordinary work. Um, you've committed to revealing perfectly who the great creator is. Miigwech, Bizendawi. Thank you for listening, Andy. We need to pause to tell you about one of our annual sponsors, the Baptist Seminary of Kentucky. BSK offers multiple ways to pursue theological education, helping you learn and grow in your area of ministry. Programs include a 75-hour Master of Divinity degree with concentration in BSK's areas of emphasis, including black church studies, rural ministry, and pastoral care. For ordained ministers or lay leaders alike, BSK offers nine-hour certificates in black church studies, rural ministries, and pastoral care, as well as two exploring ministry certificates for general ministry training. BSK also offers additional subject-specific training with Flourish workshops in subjects such as Introduction to Youth Ministry, Essentials in Youth Ministry, and the upcoming The Flight of the Soul of America. Now enrolling for fall 2022. Apply today at bsk.edu. Okay, that's it. That's our conversation. If you want more, be sure to subscribe to CBF Podcast on all major platforms, including iTunes, Amazon Music, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Google Podcast. Don't forget to like and share this episode on your favorite social media platform. Be sure to support our annual sponsors by visiting their websites. Again, that's Central Seminary, the CBF Church Benefits, and the Baptist Seminary of Kentucky. Check out cbf.net for more information about church starters, field personnel, advocacy work, and much more. And, uh, oh yeah, I think we mentioned that you should uh, join the listener support community at cbf.net backslash podcast support. 